it said, very rightly so, that people who lose their way do so because they've lost their why. See, Jesus knew his why. He came to preach in Capernaum. And that's why he left again because he came to preach in Judea, to preach in Jerusalem, to go to hell and back because he had his why. And it was you. Jesus knew his why. Know yours. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Stand out of respect for the words and the works of Jesus. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Jesus starts with just one individual. She was an older woman suffering. She was the mother-in-law of Peter. Luke, he helps to give you a sense of what this must have been like. She had a high fever. There must have been people outside that room. You know how it is? They're outside. They're keeping things to a low whisper. They're wondering what the news is going to be when Peter's wife walks out of the room. She was the one nursing her. Is it going to be something worse? 
Inside the room, it's quiet. Peter's wife is there. She takes a damp cloth. She lays it on the hot forehead of this older, suffering woman. Every so often, she steps out of the sick room. She says to the rest of the house, the fever, it still hasn't broke. So much concern. And then Jesus walks in. Jesus, will you go into her? He goes into the room. He sees the bedclothes, they're soaked with sweat. He smells the scent of sickness and stale sweat. He bends over this woman and he speaks. He doesn't address her. He speaks to the fever. He rebukes it. Outside the room, the people could hear the sharpness, the authority with which Jesus spoke. And suddenly, they hear the thud of this woman's feet on the ground. And suddenly, this woman, who's the matriarch of the whole scene, you know the type, comes out and she starts bossing everybody around and she's serving everybody. And all of a sudden, there's an impromptu hospital going on around the house. Jesus had made her all brand new. You know, it bugs me sometimes. The Bible, it's hard to read well. It's not hard to read. It's easy to read, which is one of the things that I love about the Bible. Even a child can read the Bible and understand it. I know because I have one. Even a child can read the Bible, but there's enough enough complexity there. There's enough sophistication there. There's enough depth there that you can spend your entire life and still not get to the end of it. I love the Bible. It's easy to read, but it's hard to read well. Because sometimes we bring so many modern prejudices to it. That's why I'm thankful for my mom. I grew up with one of those moms where every night I had my head on my mom's shoulder. And I'd get lost in a book. I remember reading stories about European history. I remember reading Laura Ingalls Wilder. I remember Mary. Mary, she got scarlet fever. She got so sick that she went blind. We bring so many modern prejudices to this. We think to ourselves, you know, bust out the thermometer. What was she, 104, 105? Somebody grab the poor lady some Tylenol. Somebody else run off to the pharmacy and get some antibiotics. We'll knock this puppy out real fast. No, 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 no. This was pre-modern medicine. See, when you have a high fever, you get delirium. And then you go unconscious. And then you die. And then Jesus walks in. And he bends over this suffering older woman, this matriarch, 
He rebukes the fever. And she's all brand new. Jesus, he starts with just an individual. And then he moves to a crowd, each of whom he treats individually. The sun, that giant orb in the sky was just setting. And apparently everybody had the same idea. The Sabbath was over, they were saying to each other. And so what they were going to do is instead of doing the normal thing, which is, you know, you put your kids to bed, you douse the lamps, and then you go to bed yourself. Instead of doing the normal thing, they lit their lamps and they pulled an all-night vigil. Everybody had the same idea. They said, you know, the Sabbath's over, so now we can do some work. And so they got their sick people together, and everybody brought their sick people to Jesus. Everybody did. The friends brought their friend who was a paralytic, and a dad was hauling along his son who was blind. And then there was this wife who's serving as this impromptu crutch for her husband whose foot had turned into a club in a tragic accident out in the field. Everybody came. Everybody had the same idea, and what they did is they set up a war hospital, an impromptu war hospital outside of Peter's mother-in-law's house. And y'all, I got to tell you, the doctor was in. All night long. All night long. He puts his hands on person after person after person after person after person after person all night long. And the little boy who came who had never seen before in his life, the people watch as they see him processing visual images for the first time. You know, he's blinking as he looks around. And this guy whose foot had been crushed in a field accident is gingerly touching it on the ground and all of a sudden he realizes it works and he starts sprinting around like a calf out of a stall. And his wife smiles about it. She doesn't care that the whole community is watching because you know what? He had never been the same. He had always been ashamed of himself because he couldn't provide for his family anymore. But now he could. Because Jesus had touched him too. Jesus, when we see this, we really do need to just glory in it. I feel a little bad trying to comment on it because I feel like I just wrecked the glory of the story. But maybe I'll risk it. This could have gone so differently. Jesus could have done it like he did it at the Sea of Galilee. Remember, there was that storm raging, and Jesus just speaks. <laughs> Peace, be still, and then the storm is still. He could have done it all with just one word. He could have waved his magic wand over the crowd, and everybody's healed. Boom, all at once. He doesn't. He refuses to deal with people corporately. He refuses to deal with people impersonally. 
And it cost him. You can tell that it cost him. Jesus had to stay up all night. He's triaging and he's triaging and he's triaging and he's triaging and it's one sick person, one sick person, one sick person, one person after another, individual after individual. And each person, he lays his hands on them. It is as if their sickness is his. It is as if their injury is his. Don't make me apply this to your life. Don't make me do it. Don't make me help you think about people in our church who can't kick COVID. Don't make me think about a recent diagnosis you may have got. Don't make me think about how you too need Jesus to lay hands on you and make you new. Just glory in this. He starts with just an individual. He moves to this crowd, each of which he treats individually, and then he treats each one of those individuals. Did you catch it? Holistically. He loves them, body and soul. It's easy to miss it. You know, it's just one little line in Luke's account. Luke says that these demons, many demons, he says, many demons, he says, were being cast out of people. When they were cast out of people, they would say, you are the son of God. Many demons, Luke says. See, in the modern world, we often just think about our physicality. We don't think about our spirituality and how that can be impacted. See, but Jesus does both. He cares not just for our bodies. He cares for our souls. He cares not just for our souls. He cares for our bodies to the extent that we don't realize we have a body. We dehumanize ourselves to the extent that we don't realize we have a soul. We dehumanize ourselves. But Jesus does both. He lays hands on your body and he takes care of your soul. Don't miss it. Jesus casts out demons too. If that doesn't thrill you right here, right now, then i got to tell you something. You are just not tapped into reality. You're just not. I know the stats. Maybe you do too. Commentators will talk about it. People say that people don't believe in demons anymore. Well, why not? It doesn't seem like people have any trouble being, believing in things that they can't see. We believe in viruses. We believe in gravity. We believe in love. We believe in physics, don't we? Why in the world wouldn't we believe in demons? I mean, do we honestly think that the horrors and the tragedies of this world that are fully documented simply come from a bad dose of human sin and coincidence? Come on. What do you think happened over the past few months? Was it only a physical pandemic? Don't be blind. Demons are real. 
Now, I'm not saying that anybody in here is demon-possessed. I think demon possessions are real. I just think that most of the time in these modern days that the demon strategy is a little bit different. It's kind of like the movie says. You know the line? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. It's not demon possession that we're so much in danger of as much as it is demon influence. Now that does happen. It's not just our knees that get bruised. Sometimes we have a bruised conscience. It's not just our hearts that can go bad, it's also our hearts that can go bad. It's not just that, that viruses can attack our physicality, it's that viruses can affect our behavior and our mind. Demons are real, and if you look for it in your life, you'll see it. I know I do. How sometimes in your zeal to keep one of the commandments, you end up breaking another commandment. How sometimes in your earnest search for the truth, you end up propagating lies. How sometimes when you are angry about the injustices and sin in this world, you end up with a bad case of self-righteousness. Demons are real. And to the extent that that frightens you, this story should comfort you. Demons have to flee in the presence of Jesus. So, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He moves from just one individual to a crowd, each of whom he treats individually, to treating each one of those individuals holistically, body and soul. He heals it all. So this is Jesus. You know, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to show you what Luke is doing here. Because it'd be easy to just read this and you kind of see all these episodes. That's what Luke has going on here. All these little episodes with all these different themes. How does it all come together? I'm telling you, this is Jesus. This is a composite sketch of Jesus. This is a resume of Jesus. This is what he does. He saves people, body and soul. That's what he said last week. He told us last week in Luke 4, this is who I am. I am the Messiah. I have come to set the prisoners free. What did he do this week? He drives out the demons. He told us last week, this is who I am. I have come to make the blind see. 
What does he do this week? He makes the blind see. See, Jesus last week told us who he is. This week he is saying, I'm living it out. Do you see it? This is a composite sketch of Jesus. He saves people, body and soul. And he wants you to believe it. You know, every so often I listen to people and sometimes they read scriptures like this and they kind of read them like this. They go nuts. I missed out. I wasn't in Capernaum. (laughs) You know, if I just would have been in Capernaum, I could have brought my sick daughter, whatever, to, to Jesus, everything would be fine. I missed out. I totally missed it. You're missing it. Jesus is revealing to you right here who he is going to be for you when he comes back. He will be Jesus. He will lay his hands on you and he will drive out your sickness, your demons, your whatever, and he will make you new. See, that's what this scripture is about. It is a prophecy. It is a vignette. It is a prognostication of what Christ is going to do for you when he comes back. You didn't miss it. It's coming. And I can prove it to you. That's why I left Capernaum. He left. They tried to make him stay. He left. He didn't stay. It was never his plan to do this for everyone when he came the first time. He was coming to forgive people. He's coming the second time to fix all those he has forgiven. But the first time, the first time, the first time, he came to preach. So you would believe. Dear church, I got three things for you to walk away with today, three takeaways based on this. I got one for your faith. I got one for your love. And I've got one for your hope. Here's one for your faith. I have a friend who calls me up every so often He kind of does a humble brag when he calls. This is what he says to me. He says, he says, I'm Jesus' favorite one. You'll never believe what he did for me this week. (laughs) Then we get into an argument. Because I tell him, no, I'm Jesus' favorite one. You'll You'll never guess what he did for me this week. And you know what I suspect? I suspect we're both right. See, the thing about Jesus is that when he's with you, it's like you're the only one in the entire world. It's like you're the only one he really loves. Like it's just you, like you're his favorite. I'm his favorite and you're his favorite. And in the end, I think we're all going to find out we're right. Here's something for your love. If we're going to love people, let us love as Christ loved. 
If we're going to be Christ's hands and Christ's feet in the world, let's do it like he did it. How did he do it? One by one by one by one with the people who were right there with him. Do you know what I think is one of the most horrible temptations in a digital cable news world? that you end up paying attention to and caring about things and people that are just far enough away from you that they feel threatening and important. But they are just close enough to you that you can't ever let it go. And so you obsess. But what if we did it like Jesus did it? What if instead of saying, you know, I'm so concerned about what's going on in Jerusalem. We just said, I'm here in Capernaum. (laughs) I'm going to love, and I'm going to pay attention to, and I'm going to care about the people right here who I can lay my hands on. (laughs) Let us love like Jesus loved Here's one for your hope. What did the Apostle Paul say? The Apostle Paul said this. He said, who hopes for what one already has? One day Jesus is going to come and he's going to lay his nail mark hands on every one of his redeemed. (laughs) And he's going to make us new. He's going to lay waste our diseases. He's going to drive out our demons. He's going to make our bodies perfect. He's going to resurrect us from the dead. One day, he's going to come. And he's going to do it. But for now, we have to live in hope. Which means that also right now, we need to live in what I call Christian realism. You'll notice that Jesus walked away from healing ministry. He walked away from it to pursue preaching ministry. What do we learn from that? I'll tell you what we learn from that. We will not fix this world, not on this side of heaven. We are not going to do it. One injured person will be, will be replaced by another injured person. One sick person is going to be replaced by another sick person. We are not going to fix this world because we cannot fix sin. We have got to live in hope. And what that means is we have got to preach the gospel just like Jesus did. That's our primary mission. I got to say that clearly today. There are some people who are always going to want to turn the church into social ministry. They're going to want to turn the church into a movement of social justice. That's important. Jesus did it. He healed people, but it wasn't his primary mission. Jesus walked away from it. In fact, one person I talked to put it like this. Dr. Alan Sorum said, if Jesus' mission was social justice, then we have to consider Jesus a failure. And he's right, we do. 
What did he come to do? He came to preach the gospel. He came to preach the word of God. He came to tell people who he was and what he had come to do for everyone so people would believe it. For now, we must live in hope. So what we will do is we will love people and we will serve people and we will care for people and we will give them a helping hand, but we must never lose our mission. We must preach the gospel. It's said, very rightly so, that people who lose their way do so because they've lost their why. See, Jesus knew his why. He came to preach in Capernaum. And that's why he left again, because he came to preach in Judea, to preach in Jerusalem, to go to hell and back, because he had his why. And it was you. Jesus knew his why. Know yours. I heard a sermon from a pastor just last week. He's a pastor out in Colorado. He told a story about what he did with his family on Martin Luther King Day this year. You get off school, and so the kids are off school, and so the family, they had a family day out, and they went skiing together. Do you know what he said his best part was, though? It wasn't skiing with the family. He said that as a dad, what he was most looking forward to was trapping his kids on the ski lift because <laughs> he knew he'd be able to talk to them. He said that every wise parent knows that the child that you hold in your, in your hands is one day going to turn to ash. And so he sat his kids next to him. And he told them he loved them. And then he told them about Jesus. And he said, you put your faith in Jesus. Because I want you to live with him one day. Know your why. We must preach the gospel. That's why we're here. We're here to baptize people into Christ. We are here to commune people with Christ. To do anything less is to trade the eternal for the temporal. But to do that is to give them a helping hand into the love and the joy and the peace, and the life, and the justification, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. So preach on, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we, when we think of who you are, this composite sketch of your mission, your identity, your agenda, your resume. We're in awe 
as our faith sees that you love us so, that you attend to each one of us like we're the only person in all the universe and lay hands on us personally. We hope that you see us. You, we ask that you help us see that by faith and that from that faith would flow love that wants to live as you li- lived in love for the people that we can lay hands on right here in our Capernaum. And finally, Lord, we ask that you help us live in hope. So we live with Christian realizing that, that here we cannot beat sin, but you can. And we cannot beat back injustice or sickness, but you can. Help us live with that hope in mind and preach the gospel that is true. That you're coming back to fix what you've already forgiven. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen.